Colonel Patterson, who was commissioned to help build a bridge or to lead the project of building a bridge from Kenya, from Kenya to Uganda. And while he was there, he had a team of workers there, and two lions began attacking the people, this team of people, and the village they were staying in. And this was a, this was a very unusual situation. These were two male lions that were traveling together, and they would do all that they could to prevent the attacks. They would build these fences around the place with briars and things like that. They would try to protect the area, but during the night, no matter what they did, these two male lions, male lions normally never hunt, they travel together, and typically it's not the male lions that hunt anyway, it's the female lions. The males are known to be a little bit more lazy, actually. And so this was a very unusual situation, but no matter what they did, these two male lions would come even into the camp, no matter what they put around it, they would come in and they would drag people out of their tents, and the lions were known to eat people, these two male lions. No matter what they did, they couldn't protect the people from these two male lions. Eventually, if you've seen a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness, this is based off this story, kind of a rough historical uh, picture, some things that aren't accurate, but they had to deal with these lions. They couldn't ignore them. Normally, if you just stay, keep your distance from a male lion, you're protected. But the thing about these lions is it didn't matter if you kept your distance. They were on the prowl, and they were going to get them if they didn't do something about this. And they had to do something. And I tell you that story because what we're going to study in the book of Hosea is we see that the Lord is a lion. The Lord is a lion. And all of us must deal with him in some way. Let me read to you these passages. In Hosea chapter 5, verse 14, the Lord says, I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off. No one shall rescue. This is what the Lord will be like to these people have who have rebelled against him. There's another picture of this lion thing in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read the books or if you've seen the movies, it's a little bit more of a, a biblical picture. If you watch those movies or read the books, everyone, every character is forced to react to Aslan in some way. They have to respond to who Aslan is as this chief lion, as this god-like figure. And so some see Aslan, though he is majestic and though he is fearsome looking, they're able to see gentleness in him and they're able to see goodness. But to those who have sold themselves over to evil, even Aslan says, all they can hear is roaring and growling. They don't see the gentleness. And so all of us are forced to respond, to respond to God in some way. Here's what the Lord says about his people when they are restored. It says, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. So though he maintains this majestic nature, still his children are able to come to him and not be fearful because he will comfort them if they trust in him. And so here's what I want you to know this morning. You must respond to the Lord. There is no neutral position. You must deal with him. And either he is a fearsome lion, ravaging and he will destroy you. 
or is he, he is a gracious, majestic lion. He will love, he will be gentle, and he will protect you. This is what we will see in the book of Hosea this morning. Some of you may have seen, we're dealing with Hosea chapter 4, verse 14 through 14. Chapter 4 through chapter 14, and you may be wondering, how are we going to do this? Well, we may be here till 2 o'clock. The youth lunch will be here, so we, we might break. But if we dealt with Hosea for several weeks, you would be crying out mercy like the people of Israel. Here's what's going on in chapters 4 through 14. I told you last week, if you were with us, the picture of Hosea and Gomer as a marriage does not move past chapter 3. Hosea and Gomer are not mentioned at all past chapter 3. The metaphor of marriage is carried through. It continues through. The metaphor of marriage, children, that continues through chapter 4 through 14. But Hosea and Gomer, are, they're not there. They're not mentioned. But what we have is prophecies. We have prophecies about what's going to happen to the people of Israel. We also have the sins, the accusations that God is bringing against his people. This is what you have done. This is the wrong. that I, This is what I have against you. I'll be honest to say that I've struggled through chapters 4 through 14 this week because what we constantly see is judgment. The people are being accused for their sin. And so this morning, the way that the sermon is going to be broken up, if you'll open your bulletins there and if you'll take out those notes, let me just reinforce, those notes are for your good. I have many of the verses that I'm going to mention pasted in those notes to help you so that you don't have to be flipping back and forth in your Bible. If you want to test me, if you don't think those are the right ones, you can go after later and you can look. But I assure you they are the, the right ones. Please take those out. Let them be a service to you. But we see judgment. So the structure of the sermon this morning is why is judgment coming on Israel and this is sin from God's view. Now let me explain this. We often like to talk about how there's two sides to every story, right? There's two sides to every story. It's not that way when it comes to our sin. You don't get to argue with God. We don't get to make a discussion about it. God says, this is what you have done, and this is what's going to happen. There is no two sides. It's one side, it's God, and it, that's it. So this is sin from God's view. And this is going to be a long point. I hope that I'm not hurried in this, and I want to walk through this very carefully, because here's the big deal. If we haven't seen our potential for destruction and for God's judgment, we cannot appreciate His grace. And so you really need to focus in on these points or these accusations about Israel. And you really need to ask the question, is this me? Is this me? And then we'll go into who's responsible? Who's responsible? Who's held accountable for this evil in Israel and for the destruction that's coming? And we will close with hope. And at some point during this first point, you may think, man, Kevin and the prophets are just pessimistic people. And that's not the case. That's not the case. We will get to hope. But you have to dwell in their accusations against them. You have to ask, is this me? Is God coming and is he accusing me of these same things? What is your potential for God's judgment? Now, at the, at the top of the notes... I have just a few things that might help you in your personal study of the minor prophets or the prophets in general. And you'll see there I have 
this written rhetorical devices of prophetic literature. And these are used to emphasize particular points. Okay, so we'll see in chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. It's the Lord says, I know Ephraim, expressing an awareness of what's going on in Ephraim. He says this in chapter, in verse 3. But then right after he says, I know Ephraim, it says, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they do not know the Lord. The, the scriptures have placed bookends here for us to emphasize points. The God is aware of what's going on in Israel, but they are not aware of the Lord. See the bookends here? He's emphasizing a particular point about knowledge. The Lord knows, but the people don't know. So pay attention to bookends here. These are supposed to, these are used for specific points. Imagery, verse chapter 7, verse 11. Israel, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. This imagery is help, supposed to help us see what Israel is like. They're flying around, they don't know what they want, they're fickle, and so they're going between the nations looking for help. Then repetition or parallelism, chapter 13, verse 14. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? The Lord is saying the same thing in different ways, twice. And the basic point of it is, death has no victory. This is a message of hope. But just for your personal study, these things are helpful. Don't just brush through these things as if, as if they're saying just the same thing over and over again. Get deep into it. What's the points they're trying to make? What are they trying to reinforce? And being aware of these rhetorical devices can help you in that. Now, as we get into the main points, I'd ask you to stand with me and turn to Hosea chapter 14. We have the benefit of being able to see the end of the book. And the end of the book offers a surprise. If you look at chapter 14, verse 9, Hosea has been giving these prophecies about judgment. He's been accusing the people of Israel for their sin. But then he brings in verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things, meaning the entire book. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors, transgressors stumble in them. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear your word this morning. Help us to see that this entire book, this entire prophecy, while it may seem overwhelming to us at times, the major point is that we hear your word and that we respond in faith and in trust of you. God, as Jesus talked about fertile ground versus hard ground, when he talked about the seed, may our hearts be fertile ground. May we receive your word and may we respond in obedience and repentance. Lord, speak to us this morning by the power of your spirit that our lives may be changed and that this culture that we live in would be influenced by your gospel, by your name, by your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I read that verse to you because this last verse is emphasizing the wisdom nature of what's going on here. And this is why the main point of the sermon is walking in God's wisdom is the only way to survive his judgment. Let me repeat that. Walking in God's wisdom is the only way to survive his judgment. 
Hosea is saying in that last verse, listen to this entire message. It is a matter of living according to God's wisdom. We could also bring alongside this what Jesus said when he said, he who hears my word and does these things is like the man who builds his house on the rock. The storms come, but his house is not destroyed. On the opposite end, the one who does not hear my words is like the man who builds his house on the sand. A storm comes and his house is destroyed. And so the whole point this morning is that we hear the word of the Lord and that we respond appropriately. And this is wisdom. This is wisdom. So the first point, why is judgment coming on Israel? Sin from God's view. And ultimately, we will start with this main point about this. Why is judgment coming on Israel? Ultimately, it is because sin is against divine love. It is sin against divine love. We talked about last week that uh, God's relationship with his people is like a marriage. He's taken the role of a husband, but God is not any normal husband. He is a perfectly loving, faithful husband, all-knowing husband, and his wife has still betrayed him. His wife has said, I can do better. And so ultimately, the sin of Israel is against a perfect, loving being who desires the best for his people. And this is why sin is so bad. Some of you may ask, particularly if you're visiting with us, if you're not a believer and you're wondering about this whole Christianity thing, why do Christians make such a big deal about an apple, about someone eating an apple? The reason is, it's not just an apple. There was a loving commandment given, and that eating the apple was a rebellion against divine love. God had given a loving commandment desiring the best for his people. And when she ate the apple, it wasn't just about this apple, but it was a mistrust of God, the faithful, loving one. And in the same sense, Israel broke the covenant of a loving husband. Of a husband who desired what was best for his people. And what we risk doing today. Is rejecting the cross. Which is a picture of the God of the universe. Sending his own son to die for our sins. The one who is so loving. So generous. And perfect knowledge. And so the reason that sin is so bad. The reason that sin is so huge. Is because it's against divine love, perfect love. And so every time, people, that you choose to follow yourself instead of the Lord, you're sinning against the God of the universe. You're sinning against the one who loves you more than any person could ever love you and who desires what's best for you and knows what's best for you more than any other person. You choose to reject that, and that's why sin is so big. That's why sin deserves judgment. It's because it's a rejection of divine, perfect love. But there is more. Their judgment is coming on Israel because there's an absence of covenant ethics. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. And if you'll turn there with me. This is ones that I did not paste in your notes there. The Lord says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. I want you to remember as we read this that part of God's covenant with Israel was that 
they would follow him and they would obey him, but also that they would be a blessing to other nations. The way that they were to be a blessing to other nations is because through being God's faithful people, they acted with covenant ethics, with covenant morality. They were to be a light to the nations because they showed people who God was. And so when Israel chose to reject God, they would no longer be a blessing to the nations because they could no longer show the nations who God really is. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Instead, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see, where Israel was supposed to create an alternative culture that reflected who God was as a loving, compassionate, and perfect being, they were supposed to follow this and create an alternative culture for the nations to see the light of God. Instead, they succumbed to the culture, and they began to be like them, and they began to share in the lying and the adultery and all the things that the culture practiced. And so God says, I have a problem with you, Israel, because you're acting like all the other people, because you've rejected my covenant, that you're no longer a blessing to the nations, but you're no good for the nations. You're no good for the nations. And so in chapter 8, verse 8, you'll see this in your notes, Hosea says, they are among the nations as a useless vessel. And so while Israel, again, was supposed to be a blessing to the nations, make sure you catch this, they're no good for the nations now. They serve the nations in no way. And we need to connect this with the New Testament because Jesus does something very similar as he has his people gathered around at one of his first major teachings. He says to them, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, church, you are called through following Jesus to be a blessing to the people around you. As you seek the Lord and seek what's true because God is truth and he reveals truth to his people, then you are to be a blessing to others because you walk in truth. You teach other people wisdom. People should be asking you for advice because they see goodness and kindness in you. And when those things are gone, you're no longer a blessing to people. You're no longer salty. And this is why Jesus uses this illustration of salt. Because in the ancient days, they would throw the salt out into the streets. And literally, people would just walk through and stomp on it. It was good for nothing. And here's the picture. You're good for nothing if you don't follow Jesus and your life doesn't reveal the ethics of who he is. And so this is why we need believers in the business world. This is why we need believers in the schools. Because you reveal Jesus in those places. You reveal truth in those places. And so I would ask you, as you're working, does your work reveal the truthfulness of Christ, faithfulness of Christ? Those are very important things. Israel was judged because there was an absence of covenant ethics. Next, point C, they, they tried to fix spiritual problems with political alliances. Spiritual problems with political alliances. 
clearly just revealed here, the main problem in Israel was not that they needed more partners. They didn't need Assyria and these strong military units to come and help them. What they really needed was to repent to the Lord. But instead of turning to him, they seek out these alliances. And so chapter 8, verse 10 says, Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. And so the promise of the Lord is that it doesn't matter how many alliances you make, I'm going to judge you and you're going to be destroyed. And so Israel during this time period would go to Assyria and they would try to make an alliance with them and say, Assyria, will you help protect us? Will you join with us? And then Assyria wouldn't work out for long and so they'd go back to Egypt. And this is why the verse we said earlier said they're like a silly dove because they were going back and forth. They couldn't decide who they wanted to team up with. And so they went to Egypt. That didn't work out either. And then they'd go back and forth. But here was the main problem. What they really needed was repentance. And so I don't want to get into a political discussion, but I do want to point out that our land doesn't need more political alliances for healing, more economical partnerships in other foreign nations for healing. What our nation needs is people who reflect the ethics of Jesus and the love and truth of Christ. Our nation needs repentance, and that's what will help the nation, not political alliances. That will not solve it. So they tried to fix spiritual problems with political alliances. Just another application. I don't know if any of you are prone to getting lost, but I sometimes struggle with direction. And at one time I remember taking a wrong turn, but I took that wrong turn and then I, I kept driving thinking, you know what, if I, if I keep going, I'm bound to get back or something to where I'm going. But after about 20 or 30 minutes, I realized that I wasn't going to get back to where I was trying to get to. And so what I ultimately had to do was go all the way back to where I first made the wrong turn. And that's what made things right. And what we try to do with our sin usually is we make a wrong turn and we sin, but we keep trying to go and say, I'll fix it on down the road and I'll keep going and I'll try to fix it as I go along. And what you really need to do is just stop where you are and repent. And that's what will solve the problem. What you really need to do is turn to the Lord. And that's what will fix things. And so the main message to Israel and the main message to us is don't try to fix your spiritual problems in other ways. Turn to the Lord. He is the one who desires to fix them, to work things out. Next, D. They tried to appease God instead of pleasing him. They tried to appease God instead of pleasing him. And I think this is incredibly practical for us. Because the truth is that rarely will many people in the church outrightly reject the faith. Rarely will we just completely leave the church. But what we'll do is we'll start to have this like casual relationship with the church where we'll just come and we'll continue to participate in some things. And what we think we're doing when we do that maybe is, is we're appeasing God in some way. We're just making him happy because we do our religious duties. And this is what Israel tried to do. Chapter 5, verse 5, it says, With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 6, Your love is like a morning cloud, God speaking to his people, like the dew that goes early away. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Israel was continued to play their religious roles. They were continuing to attend worship and things of that nature. 
and they tried to appease God in all of it instead of really seeking to please him, to love him, and to exalt him. You see, you cannot appease God. What you must do is lay your life down to please him. Otherwise, this relationship doesn't work. God's first commandment to Israel was love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they were not doing that. They were just trying to make him happy. And they did not. Next, simply, they forgot. They forgot. This is chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled. Their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. You see, Israel was finding themselves in tough spots. And they had found themselves in tough spots all throughout their history, right? And what got them out of those tough spots? God. It was God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It was God who parted a sea for them. It was God who helped them conquer all the nations and Joshua's leadership. But they forgot their history. They completely forgot all that God did for them. And here is the message to you. Do you forget Romans 8, the rhetorical question that Paul asked when he says, If God gave you his son, will he not also freely give you all things? you forget that in your day as you begin to become anxious and worry over some situation that comes up do you instantly think of that verse if God gave me his son he will give me all that I need there would probably be less anxiety in your life when there's trouble that comes up do you forget or do you turn to the Lord He is faithful. He has worked faithfully in the past. He will will work faithfully now. Let us not forget that he's always trustworthy. Always trustworthy. The last one here. Why Israel is being judged. They confuse sadness with repentance. Look at chapter 7, verse 14 and 16. That's there in your notes. The Lord says, <clears throat> they, do not, they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. They return, but not upward. You see, Israel was very sad over what was going on. They were very upset about their circumstances. And in some ways, they might have even been, been upset over what they had done to bring them to their circumstances. But the Lord's continuous contention with them is you're not really repenting. You're crying about it and you're saying you're sorry about it, but you never turn from your ways and do something different. And I wonder if this is true about us too. Often I find myself sad about my sin, but it's more more difficult for me to utterly turn from my sin. To reject it and say, I'm done with it and walk in a different path. And so one of the reasons that Israel is being judged is because they were sad over their sin. But they didn't repent over it. And so I wonder, church, 
to be, we'd be very guilty of this. Individuals in your home life, do you find yourself just sad over your sin, but unwilling to reject it? Unwilling to drop it? You need the Holy Spirit. You need to change or judgment is coming. And so here's some application questions for this section. For this section, some application questions. Is your relationship with the Lord an obligation or a joy? It was an obligation to Israel, not a joy. And I wonder what it is for you. Judgment was coming because they were doing it out of obligation, not because they wanted to serve the Lord and because they loved the Lord. And it might be the same for you. Only in pressing deeply to God by His Spirit will the obligation be transformed to joy. If you're asking the question, how do I make it different? It's going to require you devoting yourself to the Lord, spending time on your knees, digging into His Word, praying, having accountability. It's not easy. It's work. And it's by His Spirit that it happens. And so if you want joy in your relationship with the Lord, you have to seek it. You have to seek it. And this is what Israel was unwilling to do. And this is why destruction would come to them. Have you truly repented of your sins? Or have you only been somewhat saddened by them? And the way this true repentance happens also is time on our knees. Time on our knees. Seeking the Lord. Seeking accountability within His body. It requires these things. Requires them. So, moving on to point two. Who's responsible? Who's responsible for what's going on in Israel? And I want to be sure to say that everyone is going to experience God's judgment in Israel. All the people who are there, even Hosea, he lives to this period of 722 when Israel is going to be destroyed. And he experiences this difficult circumstances that Israel is going through. But the question we're asking here is, who is God really going to hold accountable to a higher level for what's gone on. And God is very, very clear. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. It is these groups... We're going to first deal with these priests and prophets. They're mentioned very clearly in chapter 4, verse 4. It's there in your notes. Let no one accuse, this is the Lord speaking, for with you is my contention, O priests. It says in those passages that the priest has rejected knowledge, and because the priests have rejected knowledge, the people don't have knowledge. And chapter 4, verse 8, they feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. What's happening here is the priest, as many of you know, in the Old Testament, the people, the, just the people of Israel, would bring sacrifices, good meat sacrifices, lambs, healthy meat, and they would bring these to the priest and have them sacrifice them. But the problem was that the priests weren't feeding the people the truth about God, and so the people had this false concept of who God was, and so they were actually endorsing false worship. So they bring these meat, this meat to sacrifice, having a false concept of who God was. And then the priest, instead of just sacrificing it, because they're indulging in sin, they would eat it. And so this is why God says, priest, you are feeding on the sins of my people. The people are worshiping a false sense of who God is. And the priests are feeding on that sin. And this makes a 
perfect correlation. I just couldn't help but mention it with the prosperity gospel. You have men who come in and say, God is about health, wealth, prosperity. God is here to make you grow and to live a prosperous life. And this is what the, Jesus is all about. They won't talk about sin, but they talk about prospering. And so they give the, feed the people with this false concept of who God is. And then the people come and they give their tithes and they think they're worshiping God, but they actually have a false sense of God. And so it's sinful even in their worship. And then the pr- priest or the preachers who preach this message endorse it and take the money and love it. And so it's the same cycle. The priests are feeding on the sins of the people, the false worship. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so thankful for a, a church like Crosspoint who it makes it a priority to raise up men who know the gospel and who teach the gospel. And our churches need to be making this a priority because what happened in Israel is the priests weren't teaching the truth about who God was and so the people didn't know the truth about who God was. And so we need to be making this a priority. Men who know the truth and who teach the truth to the people and also people who know the truth people who know the truth if we were to make a new testament connection with this we could go to first peter where it says that all of us are a holy priesthood all of us are a holy priesthood now we're all priests and we're to be teaching one another and so i wonder for you are you teaching anyone knowledge of who god is Do you know the truth about who God is? Are you growing deeper into knowledge of who God is? This is our responsibility corporately as priests to be engaging in this, to growing in knowledge of God and teaching others about who God is. The next group that was to be judged, that held responsible for this great sin in Israel is the leaders in public society. And first of all, It's the men. Chapter 4, verse 14. The Lord says, I will not punish your daughters when they fornicate, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. The reason the Lord was not going to judge the women for what they were doing is because the men had set the example. The men had set the example. We discussed this a little bit in, uh, a while back in Colossians. The responsibility of the man and the judgment that the man would bear. Men, are you setting the example? You are responsible and you will bear the judgment. When you arrive before the Lord, the Lord will ask you, how did you lead your family? Why did you not lead your family? Why did you not lead your community? Men, you're responsible to step up here. You're responsible to fill the gaps. You are to be leading. And you will bear the judgment. You will bear the judgment. Next, the political leaders. Chapter 7, verse 5. says in 7-5, on the day of our king. We don't know exactly what this day was about. Evidently, the king had his own celebration. And so on this day of the king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. And the king stretched out his hand 
with mockers. The reason these political leaders will be held responsible is because they had influence. They had to, uh, the ability and the, the place to make things different, and they didn't. But they continued to drive Israel into their sin. Continued to seek this. And so, as an application for us, this is one of the reasons in Timothy that Paul says, I desire prayers to be lifted up for all men, especially kings and these who are in places of authority. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. You see, these who are in this high authority have influence and they have the ability to wage justice and to make this a bit more of a peaceful place while we're on earth. And so this is why they will be held in higher judgment. And so the application for us is clearly we're to be praying for political leaders. Clearly we're to be lifting them up and praying that God would give them wisdom in making decisions. But also pray that we would have godly people in these positions who would help to enforce godly wisdom. Godly morality. These things. As we move on, the last, the last point. We've looked at why would Israel be judged, God's view of sin. We've looked at who was responsible. It was the priests who no longer taught the truth about who God was. It was the men, these leaders of public society, who didn't take advantage of their position to lead the people in a right way, but abused it and led the people in a sinful way. But the third point, there is hope. There is hope. Chapter 12, verse 6. The only hope that is present is in repentance. The only hope for Israel, it would not be another nation that could help them. The only hope was repentance. And so chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord says, So you, by, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you the orphan find mercy. And then the Lord responds, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. The only hope for us as a people is repentance. The only hope for you individually in your daily life and just walking with the Lord and trying to figure things out, how to live this life, is repentance. Turning to the Lord constantly. Trusting in Him constantly. This is the only hope for us. And in repentance, here's what happens. There is fruitfulness. Again, this is not a prosperity thing in that you will gain all kinds of money. But the Lord is clear that he will plant you. He will make you fruitful. And we just must distinguish what this fruitfulness is. Chapter 14, verse 5, speaking of Israel, he says, He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. 
God promised his people if they would repent, he would keep them, he would take care of them, he would replant them, he would make them prosperous again. But 1 Peter 2.24, here we will draw a connection to what happens in us when we repent, when we turn to the Lord. It says, he himself, being Christ Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Here is how you become, we become prosperous. We repent of our sins. God has sent his son to die on a cross. And in his son, the blood of his son, he covers our sins. He takes away the anger that was due to us because of our sins. And he gives us his righteousness. And he says, I will make you to live a life of righteousness. And here is your prosperity. You don't need just money anymore. You take joy in the Lord. You take joy in doing His will. Your joy is not in your circumstances, but it is in who God is as your Savior. His strength, His power, the eternal hope that you have in Him. This is where your joy is. This is where your prosperity is. So, as we close, I want to remind you of chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Hear the word of the Lord. The way for you to avoid his judgment is to repent and turn to him. Did any of those sins that we mentioned about Israel, the reason judgment was coming upon them, did they characterize you? Do they characterize you? If so, I hope you will repent. I hope you will repent. And then, the hope is in His Son. The hope is in Jesus Christ, our righteousness. This is how God turns His wrath from upon us. As He gives us His Son. And His blood covers our sins. And one more application point. One more application point. Throughout the book of Hosea, Hosea never stops telling Israel to repent. He never stops pleading with them. And so I would offer you this encouragement, believer. Is there someone you've given up on? Is there someone you've stopped even trying with? Hosea never stopped trying with Israel. Till the day of judgment, he never stopped trying. The offer was always there, and the offer is always there for you and for anyone else. Repent, and the Lord will save you. Repent, and the Lord will rescue you. The message is always there. You're never too dirty, as we saw last week. You're never too dirty. And the message is always available for you and to anyone else who is out there. Repent, and the Lord will be gracious. He will shine His face upon you, and He will cover your sin. So I'm going to ask Stephanie to come forward. And as we close, I want to offer you a a time to pray. I'll be here if you would like to talk. (laughs) But we're going to move in a time of prayer, and I do want to invite you, if you'd like to share, 
talk about anything, we're always available, whether now or after the service. I'd encourage you to turn from your sin, to trust in the Lord, even the believer. Every day, are you trusting entirely in the Lord or are you trusting in yourself to get yourself through it? It is the Lord's message. He is the only way. The only way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of Hosea that warns us that if we heed this message and we turn from our sins, Father, you will rescue us. Lord, thank you for the message that we are to bear your goodness in this world, that we, in a sense, are supposed to be uh, creating a culture of kindness and goodness, Lord, in the places we work, in our homes, in all that we do, because we bear your name. Because we worship you. Lord, I pray for the men in here. God, I pray that they would see their responsibility to be leaders, to set an example, to be faithful. That they would recognize that they will be held accountable. Lord, I pray that they would walk closely with you. Lord, I pray that you would Speak to us during this time, our hearts, Father, that they would not be cold to you, but they would be warm and that we would trust completely in you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.